0: We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ didn't please himself, but as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we have come to consider your word, we pray that uh, you'll open our hearts and our minds to the work of your spirit within us. In him we pray. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end today of our summer teaching series on the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church back in the first century. Uh, We've had a good time going through this together, and you can catch up with all of the previous Uh, teachings at avonhope.org where you can find video and audio of uh, each message. Next next week we are transitioning into obviously the the fall season and that starts with our collegiate kickoff that Kyle will talk about a little later in our community lifetime. I will just note that, um, I don't know if you knew this or not, 400,000 college students move into the greater New York area during uh, the next couple of weeks, and we want to be a church that welcomes uh, them and all students really uh, back to the city and to here to uh, this community that is Avent Hope. And so next week, Collegiate Kickoff, we hope that you'll be here, and we hope that if you know uh, any college students who are moving into the city, or if you're a college student, that you will come and join us for that uh, special time together. Well, uh, Paul's instructions here now at the end of uh, Romans, uh, and uh, in our text of emphasis today needs to be understood in the context of the chapter that came before this, chapter uh, 14. So we read 15, 1 through 6, but chapter 14 gives us a little perspective on what's going on here, and you may remember that uh, Greg Burnett talked about Romans 14 a couple of weeks ago, but if you don't remember that in detail, let me go back and read to you Romans chapter 14 and verse 2, where Paul says, Um, So it's kind of a a weird, out of context, a weird argument uh, about food and what kind of food you eat and those who only eat vegetables. It sounds like it's specifically designed for uh, Seventh-day Adventists who love to talk about food and eating uh, uh, vegetables, but uh, the context uh, helps to enlighten us to see that this is not uh, specifically just a text for vegetarians or or Adventists, but that there's a, a deeper issue that going on here. Many of the meats uh, that one would uh, purchase in Rome, again Paul's writing to the Roman Christians in, in Rome, uh, had been sacrificed to uh, idols. Imagine that you went to Whole Foods on 87th and, uh, and 3rd Avenue. Today's message is sponsored by Whole Foods Imagine you went to Whole Foods and uh, you went to the, the meat counter to, to buy your, your chicken, uh, but you knew that the slaughterhouse from which the chickens had been uh, prepared, that before they were to, to, to kill the chickens, they had a, a, a corporate prayer together uh, offering the chickens and their bodies to a God in which you did not believe in. Uh, so this is the, literally the issue that uh, Roman Christians were finding themselves in. They knew that the meats that they were purchasing at the markets, that someone, somewhere where when those meats had been, when those animals had been killed and sacrificed for meat, that there had been a prayer and a service over the animals and that the meat was offered to uh, foreign gods or uh, gods that were not the god of the Bible. And so this was a dilemma for many Christians, particularly those Christians uh, with a Jewish background who just found the idea of eating something that was offered to a foreign god very difficult to swallow. Bada boom. You guys with me here? We got to loosen up a little bit here. We need Mike on the drums. Difficult to swallow. I know. By the way, there is nothing that I love more than dad jokes, and Bible jokes and they came together so beautifully in the kids' focus. Thank you for that uh, PR team. Um, anyway, where was I? Totally lost track of where I- Oh, vegetables, so vegetables. all right, so the, so the, the meats and the, the meats were offered to, to idols, and so this was a little bit uh, challenging for those who. Uh, were following Jesus to get their minds around that they were eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. So some of them were like, well, we're only going to eat vegetables because the vegetables have not been slaughtered and offered to idols. So we can be assured that we are not eating any unclean or or food by just eating uh, the uh, vegetables. Now, Paul is uh, definitive in his belief about this uh, debate. In Romans chapter 14, he says, I am convinced, this is 14, verse 14, I am convinced, being persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. He's, Hey, this, this issue about unclean meats, meats that have been offered to idols, this is not an issue for me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where this whole issue of unclean foods and and meats offered to idols is expounded on even more because the Corinthians were also dealing with this issue, he says this. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think that they know something don't yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols... We know that an idol is nothing in all the world, and that there is no God but one God. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we all live. And so Paul's definitive, look, this food... Uh, offered to idols thing is not a big deal to me. This is what he's saying. Like, I know that there's one God. If somebody wants to pray over the meat that I'm gonna eat to another God doesn't bother me at all. And so Paul's really clear, I, I don't agree with this issue that we cannot eat food that somebody else has prayed to over idols. And so his argument is pretty clear. This issue of unclean meats, not a big deal in his mind. It meets sacrifice to idols. But he continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, by saying this, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat uh, sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. They just can't get their minds off of it. They're like, I can't get around the fact that somebody prayed over this food, over this meat, to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. But food does not bring us near to God, and we are no worse if we don't eat or no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple. Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister from whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother and sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to uh, fail. So for Paul, eating meat sacrificed idols is not a big deal. He doesn't see it as a moral issue. In fact, exactly the opposite. But he realizes that what he does and how he relates to other people has an impact on them and that others have come to a different conclusion about this. One of the issues here is how a follower of Jesus treats those that they have philosophical or practical differences with, especially those within the Christian faith and this should uh, pretty clearly point out that there is or certainly was in the first century and certainly there is today a diversity of thought philosophically and also theologically that has been existent in the church since the very beginning. Diversity of thought uh, regarding some pretty essential theological foundations has been a part of the Christian church since day one and Paul is acknowledging that. Hey, he has a particular uh, belief about this issue of unclean meats and it differs than others and we got to figure out how to, to, to care for each other when we have differences. And so Paul's command is very clear, bear with the failings of the weak. Bear with the failings of the weak. Uh, Paul isn't giving an inch here on his own conviction that this issue over meat and who it's offered to is not a big deal, but he is saying how we deal with people that we have a difference of opinion on or we come to different conclusions with is a huge deal. One of our jobs as human beings, and certainly as followers of Jesus, is to be of encouragement to other people. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build each other up. How do we relate to people who have a different perspective about issues with us? Paul says we're to bear with the failings of the weak. In this case, Paul, is, he feels like he's got the strong opinion. He's in the strong opinion. These other people have a weak uh, opinion about this. But he's saying even though he feels like he is justified and he's right in his situation, he has an obligation to the person that he, he might come to a different conclusion with. And so we are to bear with the failings of the weak. We're to consider where another person has come from and what has brought them to their conclusion about how the world works whether this is in in, uh, religion or politics or philosophy or whatever we have to be thoughtful if we're going to be a follower of Jesus about where another person is is in their belief and what's led them to that. Bear with the feelings of the weak. You know in this uh, turbulent time in which we live uh, this issue seems more relevant today than maybe it even was in first century Rome you know whether it's the political world or the Christian world or even more specifically the Avenist context there is a lot of diversity of ideas and opinions and debates and disagreements and the question how do we treat people who have a different experience or have come to different conclusions than us is of utmost importance. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just to please ourselves. I mean I don't know about you but there are are a lot of people I have disagreements with, whether it be in politics or, or, or philosophy or even religion. And so this idea, this challenge that Paul is calling out to the followers of Jesus, that we are supposed to be thoughtful and, and intentional and, and compassionate and loving toward people who have come to different conclusions than us is a little bit challenging. And so it leads to the question, what is it that inhibits us, me, you, whoever, from bearing with the failings of we, the weak? What, 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 what inhibits us from uh, being able to put ourselves in other people's shoes? What inhibits us from maybe even treating others who have come to different conclusions uh, uh, with love? What inhibits us from doing that? And I would uh, suggest to you there are a number of reasons, but I have a couple to share with you today. First of all, I think we have a, a challenge with with, with uh, being compassionate to those who have come to different conclusions with us because we don't want to be associated with wrong ideas. We don't want to be associated with wrong ideas. If we associate with people who believe differently than us or people who we absolutely disagree with, uh, there's a concern that we might, it might be perceived that we, uh, we are with them. Now, there is some, some wisdom here I mean, if you're hanging out with neo Nazis, uh, it would make sense that you don't want to be associated with them, right? Uh, I mean, that would be that would be uh, that would make a lot of sense. And yet, and yet, there are two issues here in relation to this. First of all, when we think about Jesus, Jesus didn't seem that concerned with his own reputation. Uh, Matthew chapter nine verse eleven, just one instance of this when. Uh, the Pharisees saw Jesus. They went to his disciples and they said, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" I mean, you've heard this. If you've heard a sermon before, you've heard this a million times. Jesus associated with people that nobody else wanted to associate. Tax collectors—they were—they were low on the on the on the scale of of morality in the in the land, and yet Jesus with with them. And so apparently, we see this as just one example of Jesus hanging out with a people that nobody else wanted to hang out with. And so apparently, uh, by the way, we, we really like to think about that when we think about Jesus hanging out with like, you know, those who uh, are, are uh, maybe maligned or those who are not, not don't get much attention. But it's also challenging to think of Jesus hanging out with people like neo-Nazis or hanging out with people who just really we have a fundamental difference with. And yet this is kind of the implication that Jesus was around people that were just less than ideal. Jesus wasn't concerned about his own reputation. He was uh, looking forward to something else, to be a transformative uh, force in people's lives. And well, if you're going to be a transformative life, uh, per, uh, force in people's lives, you've got to go to be with people who need to be transformed, right? And Jesus said, hey, hey I don't just spend time with holy people. I go to be with the sinners, those are the people who need this. Those are the people who recognize their, their need and need to be transformed. And so Jesus spent a lot of time with people that we would not spend time with ourselves. Didn't seem that concerned with his own reputation. Uh, secondly, as we think about why, why we have a hard time with this and that we don't want to be associated with people with all, wrong ideas, is the reality that if we really are honest with ourselves, we often aren't that great at determining what, major issues are and what major major issues aren't. I mean, uh, a disagreement whether Nazism is good or bad is a lot different than disagreeing on whether something like the federal government should be big or small, right? Those are two completely different issues if we're thinking in the political sphere. But eating food sacrificed to idols is also a lot different than denying God's existence altogether. So if you're going to put all of your eggs in the basket of, oh, how morally terrible it is to eat food sacrificed to idols, you know, that's just not as important as, you know, whether God's existence is real or not. And so it's sometimes it's a little bit hard for us to judge what is really important and what isn't. And sometimes we make things that we, that aren't that important, really, really, really important. And Christians, of course, Christian communities have been really good at this, taking things that are seemingly small, are mentioned one or two times in the Bible, making our whole belief system rooted in those little things. And so we're actually not that great oftentimes of determining what the major issues and the minor issues are. And so with all of this in mind and maybe some confusion about this, we don't want to be associated with wrong ideas. And so this leads us to just avoid people that we disagree with or people who have come to different conclusions on their own with things that we've come to conclusions about. Secondly, uh, we don't want to validate that which we don't currently uh, believe in, so we avoid bearing with people who have a different perspective than we do. We don't want to validate that which we don't currently believe in, so we don't want to appear like we're approving of what someone believes in, and so we just avoid them. I'm not going to talk with anyone I don't agree agree with because the very act of talking or dialoguing with them will somehow validate their uh, belief. Again, in one sense, it makes sense. If you're seen talking with someone, somebody say, oh, well, clearly they agree with that person. They're having dinner together. Uh, But again, that's certainly not necessarily the case. If Jesus had practiced this, he wouldn't have been able to talk to very many people. If he only communicated with people who he knew we're going to believe in the same thing that he believed in, he wouldn't have talked to very many people and he probably wouldn't have talked to you or me. Finally, we have a difficult time engaging with people who have come to different conclusions than us sometimes because engaging with or loving people uh, of different beliefs or different conclusions can be both very annoying and very tiresome. Have you ever talked with somebody in great deal, deal uh, in, in in great depth with that you just fundamentally disagree with? That's tiresome, and it can be super annoying. I was in a. I'm going to confess to you now. I was in a a, a group uh, this this week, and there was there was one guy I was having disagreements with in my mind. I kept it in my mind. Um, and it was just hearing him, it was a little bit annoying to me. You know, have you ever heard someone they're, they're adamant about something and you're just like, this is annoying. And it's also very tiresome because you have to like restrain yourself. You have to exercise your willpower from, you know, slapping them. <laughs> I've never slapped a person in my entire life. So I must say... Well, <laughs> I've been slapped, which leads to a whole other. Maybe I'm the annoying. Anyway, um, anyway, this guy was a little annoying, and uh, and I, there were I had some some thoughts in my mind that I as I was reading this text, I became a little convicted on that. Maybe I need to to, to have a little conversion experience. I mean, talking with. Listening to being around someone who has a completely different opinion than you or has come to a different conclusion with you about things can be very tiresome and very annoying and so oftentimes that leads us to be just like, I am not going to communicate with, I'm not going to care about, I'm not going to listen to these kind of people. And yet again, we cannot avoid Paul's assertion that as followers of Jesus, we are to be engaged with people, even people who have come to different conclusions about things than we have, that we may even disagree with. And so this is a challenging. Paul is ending the, the, his letter to the Romans with this challenge. Hey, just because someone who's come to a, has come to a different conclusion about things than you have, just because you may even disagree with them does not mean you can discount them and certainly doesn't mean that you can't treat them with respect. In fact, in fact, followers of Jesus are called to treat people who we disagree with, with honor and respect like no others. So this is challenging. Now, uh, I could call Leanna and the team up here and he could say, Okay, so the call today is now to go out and be nice to people you uh, disagree with. Listen to them, engage them. Be respectful to them, bear with their failings, go in a piece. And you uh, would maybe go out and either think that was nuts or you might try to be more intentional about being uh, loving and caring to people you disagree with, and you, I bet, would find it very, very difficult. And so, uh, with that in mind, there is good news for us you do not have to do this alone. You not have to bear with the failings of those who you feel have a weaker position than you on your own. In fact, uh, there is one who's already done this, uh, thank God, in a way better than we will ever do it. Um, You know, Jesus didn't only serve those who believed in him or agreed with him. Certainly not. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we read that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still in disagreement with him, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait until he had convinced us of the, the truth of his existence to come and act on our behalf. Jesus came even when we disagreed with him, or at least we, our actions uh, were, were, or behaviors seemed to disagree with him. Jesus came and acted before we were in agreement with him. God is familiar with dealing with people who have disagreements with him. In John chapter 13, one of the most powerful examples of this, we read this story. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So we get this image now. We know that this guy Judas, who now has a fundamental difference has come to a completely different conclusion about who Jesus was. I mean, not just about some theoretical idea about what Jesus' identity was. Judas has come to a different conclusion than certainly that of Jesus himself. And yet Jesus, knowing this, gets down on his knees and he washes every disciple's feet like a servant would do, including Judas. Jesus engaged with people who had difference of opinion than he did, even about who he was. Finally, in Luke chapter 23, we read that Jesus is dying. He's on the cross, and he's got these two men, one on each side of them. And we're told in uh, several of the accounts that all through the day, these guys are just heaping condemnation on Jesus. They're swearing at him. They're, they're accusing him, but at the, the end of the day and toward the end of Jesus' life, one of them has some conviction. And he calls out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now this is a guy who has been against Jesus all day long. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was not afraid of engaging with people who had disagreements with him, even who he was, even his very existence. And in fact, not only did he engage with them, he had compassion on people. He he bore with their failings and their weaknesses. Jesus has done what we cannot. I guarantee you that you've been in places and times when you've been around annoying people, you've been around people who are not afraid to express their opinion, and people that you had a vast opinion with, and you probably found it incredibly difficult to overcome the barrier that comes from being around that kind, of Jesus, that, that kind of people, and yet Jesus was able to engage people who had a fundamental difference, even with his very identity, and treat them with compassion and love, and the good news is that because God has done that through Jesus, God's promises that he can empower us to have the same kind of power. The same kind of ability, the ability that we will never have on our own. If you go here and say, I'm going to be, start being nicer to people I have disagreements with, or I'm going to be nicer to people who have, a, have come to a different conclusion than I have about major issues of life, you're going to have a very, very challenging time. But the promise of the gospel is that what God has done through Jesus empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. That transformation is maybe most uh, Vivid in the story of the man uh, Peter, one of Jesus' uh, disciples. Really, in the story of all the disciples, but you have this guy Peter, and again, you don't have to read too much in the, the, old, the New Testament to get a hold of Peter's story, but he was this very passionate uh, person, but also one who really didn't have a whole lot of uh, restraint, and in many ways just didn't get what Jesus was all about. And in fact, on the night that Jesus is to be arrested, all four gospels tell this story, by the way, that uh, a man as the, the uh, guards are coming to arrest Jesus, a man takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. One of the, the Gospels tells us that that man was Peter. So here's this Peter, this impetuous guy, and he cuts off the, guy, the guy's ear, and Jesus has to say, Stop! No more of this! This is ridiculous! You know, what, what are you thinking, Peter? If I really wanted to attack people, I could call a legion of angels in here and wipe everybody out. What are you doing cutting off this guy's ear? And, and then Peter is sheepish, sheepishly kind of puts his... Sword back and then there's a whole scenario where he denies Jesus and, and on and on and on. But we see this, G, this, this uh, man, Peter, who before uh, the sacrifice of Jesus just doesn't get what Jesus is all about and acts in a way that just doesn't correspond with what Jesus is going to be all about. But this man is transformed by the gospel, trans- transformed by what Jesus does for him when he dies on the cross. In Acts chapter 5, we read that Peter and the apostles left the Sanhedrin. Now they had been arrested. It wasn't, it wasn't Jesus. They had been arrested. And rather than, than fighting and pulling out of his sword, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. This is what happens. See, people's lives are transformed. Once you embrace what God has done for you on your behalf, once you br- embrace the work that Jesus does, Once you recognize that he has done what we cannot, that he has engaged people that you could not engage, and he has treated people in ways that you'll never treat them on your own. Once you embrace this, God is able to start working in your own experience. The spirit is able to come in and give you a new perspective about the annoying people in your life, about the people in your life who you disagree with, the people in your life who come to different conclusions about how the world works and maybe about even who you are. God is able to transform your perspective and give you new eyes toward people and help you to act with love and compassion and bear with the failings of others. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody knew how to bear with the failings of others? I mean, we are a messed up race. We all have failings. And so Paul is coming telling us, he's got to bear with the failings of, of those who are are different from us, and that is a challenge. But the good news is that through Jesus, we have hope that we can be transformed and changed and be given the ability to do that, which we cannot do on our own. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. When you got God working inside of you, you have love and joy and peace and forbearance, which can also be translated as tolerance you can have tolerance for people. Don't we need more tolerance in this world? I mean, imagine if the Spirit was really working in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and tolerance for each other. The world needs a group of people who have these things alive and within us. And what a, what a different city we would be if we went out this week and we retransformed in, in our workplace. We were tolerant with people who had different opinions than us. Tolerant with the annoying person. Tolerant with the, the person who has come to different conclusions about life. This is what God can do within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, tolerance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May God work within us today as individuals and as a community to be the loving and compassionate people that he's calling us to be even toward those who we disagree with and have come to different conclusions about how life works with. May he do that in us today. Amen.